Can we welcome those that are watching online, particularly the men at Lansing Correctional. We love you so much. And let's give it up for any guests that might be in the house today. Welcome to church. Good to have you here. You might have come for the candy, but God has a word for you. Turn your neighbor and tell them they look good in their costume, even if they're not wearing one. And grab your seats. Thank you, worship team. Hey, we took a little break from our normal preaching calendar the last five weeks. Um, we started with looking at Jesus' parables in Luke th uh, 15 about, about what, what really matters to the heart of God. And just kind of for us, I felt like it was a refocus and re-engagement with, with reaching our world, the, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. What's our part to play here at Kingdom City Church? And the last two weeks, we talked about what in the world is going on. We talked about this conflict in Israel and this, this big story that is going on, not just in this moment in the news cycle, but, but throughout all of history. What is God up to and what is our part to play as a church? But I want to bring us back to what we've been really staying on course with the entire years. We've been preaching in connection and correlation with our Bible reading plan. Now, I'll just say this. If you've not been following along uh, with our Bible reading plan, I encourage you just finish this year strong with us. Finish these last few um, chapters and books uh, of the New Testament and the Old. You'll be glad that you did. And uh, we're going to speak today. I'm speaking today uh, from the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, we'll finish that in the next day or two. Uh, and 2 Timothy is really, it's an amazing book because it's really the Apostle Paul. And we've been reading all of his epistles, all of his letters to the different churches. And now we get to the letters to individuals, Timothy and, and Titus and and his heart for his spiritual children. And that's what Timothy is. Timothy is a spiritual son to, to the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul doesn't have any natural kids. And so as he's raised up churches, he puts these pastors in charge and these leaders that he developed and trained up. And this is like his last letter to him. And he actually invites him to come visit him in Rome where, where Paul is in prison. And Paul is soon facing, facing execution for living a life big for Jesus and it's in that prison that he wrote all these letters, and I think there's something that we can learn from this today, and I think it connects with what's going to happen two weeks from now at Vision Sunday. I just want to prepare your hearts for what we're going to participate by faith in to see more of God's kingdom in our city and make a difference around, around the world. And as we work through some of the themes we see in the book of 2 Timothy, I know it's going to speak to you, and I just want to talk about, about, about leaving a legacy. What does it look like to leave a legacy with your life? This is for the 18-year-old and the 88-year-old. That there's something that God is asking of you that outlives you. That this life of faith isn't just for ourselves to be built up. No, we are built up and we are discipled so that we can bring heaven to earth, so that we can change the world around us, so that our life would count where it really counts. And if you are looking for significance in this season of your life, we can see what Paul writes to Timothy, and I think it will speak to your heart. I think it will bring you on a, a next step in the journey of your faith, one that you never fully arrive at, that will see your life be significant, see your life matter for what really, what really matters. And here in 2 Timothy, we really have the most heartfelt, intimate. Really, it's like a swan song, this, this spiritual father writing a letter to his son. I know it's going to speak to your heart, sons and daughters of God. I know it's going to challenge you, encourage you, and, and equip you 
for a life of legacy. Can we pray? Would you join me in prayer? Come on. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we've been reading through the word, it actually reads us. It's the one book that, that reads our hearts and reshapes us to look more like Jesus. And that's what we're after today. Not after more education, um, no more biblical understanding. No, we're actually more transformation to look more like Christ to the world that needs to see hope, that needs to see help, that needs to see the grace of God. And so, Lord, I thank you as we are, are trained in your word today, not just to learn it, but to do it, that we step into more as disciples so that our life can be bigger than what we currently see. God, I thank you that we would be people of legacy. As believers, we're people of eternity. We're people that believe what we do in the here and now matters for forever and let our lives truly matter and count where it really counts. Lord, I thank you you're going to grow us by your Holy Spirit today in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Somebody had a hard time saying amen because you still have candy in your mouth. Paul, he starts out this letter and he, he, speaks, uh, he speaks about the generations. In fact, he tells Timothy, hey, the same thing I saw in your grandma. How many had grandma in the faith? How many grandma brought you to church? He says, the same thing I saw in your grandmother and I saw in your mother. And then when I prayed for you, I, I laid hands on you. Uh, there, was a, there was a transfer. That same spirit that was in grandma, the same spirit that was in your mom, that same spirit that Paul said that was in me as your spiritual father uh, is in you. It's in you as well. Uh, and, and what's going to happen, just like the generations before you, Timothy, what's going to happen in your generation? How are you going to lead this church? How are you going to live, live your life? In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he says, For this reason, I remind you, I think every one of us needs a reminder every once in a while, to fan into, into flame, to, to put some fuel to the fire of this gift of God on the inside of you. You might not think of yourself as gifted, but when God saved you, he's gifted you. He's graced you. He's equipped you. He's called you to something greater. He says, I want you to fan into flame this gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. In other words, there's been a divine transfer, a spiritual transfer from father to son. How I many know fire goes out uh, when you're not attending uh, to it? When you're inintentional, unintentional. When you don't pay attention, it just, it runs out of a fuel. We actually looked at that last week. What's the response of the church in the, in the days that feel like end times? And we looked at the Jesus' letter to the church, and, we, and that no one actually chooses apathy. No one wants to be lethargic. It just happens because of the culture that we're in. When we lose perspective and we lose passion, we will lose purpose. He says, I want you to be intentional about fanning in the flame these, these gifts I've given you. In the second chapter, the first verse of 2 Timothy, he says, you then, I love this thought, my, my son. You, you, my son, be, be strong in the grace that is in, in, that is in Christ Jesus. I love that Paul just says, hey, you're my son. You're, you're, my, you're my boy. I'm, I'm proud of you, but, but I need you to be strong. I, I think about when 12 years ago, uh, the most change I think that happens in the life of a man or a woman is like when you become a father or a mother. It's like you didn't realize how much of your life was about you until God gives you one for you to take care of. Until, until another generation arrives, you don't realize, like you thought you were busy. Every parent in here understands. You thought you were busy, and then you had a child. I remember when we had our precious firstborn, our daughter, 
uh, bringing her home, like just, just putting her in the, the, the baby seat to get her home, you start feeling this weight transfer. Like, oh my gosh, there's no more doctors, no more nurses around. This is up to Liz and I, like more Liz than me if we're honest. But this is, this is ours to take care of. This is our daughter. This is our, our son. This is our, our, our baby girl now. And, and so you, you've got to feed her or she'll, she'll starve. You've got to love her. Uh, you've got to take care of them or they'll be underdeveloped. You just start thinking bigger than just your needs and your life. That's what the word legacy really challenges us to think about. What, what are we doing that's bigger than us? And I know that there's some people in this room that your problems that you're currently facing seem so large. They seem so great that you can't even think about what, what could happen on the other end because you just got to go through the issue or face the problem or the fire that you're currently in. But I would tell you today that by actually thinking about things bigger than you is how God builds you to not only get through what you're going through, but get on to the life of significance that he has for you. And so as Paul is reflecting back on his own journey and his own life and legacy, he sees Timothy as this candidate of his calling that says, just like I've poured into you, I want you to pour into others. Timothy is the pastor probably of the largest church Probably, probably in the whole known world at this time. This city was massive. There could be up to the, some Bible historians think up to 100,000 people that were believers. And he was kind of the leader over the church in that city that the Apostle Paul had started. And he put his son Timothy, spiritual son, in place. And so think about how important this advice of this letter to Timothy must be. If this is from a spiritual father to a son... At the end of his race, at the end of his life, what would he want to tell his son that is significant? We get five themes that I learned from this that I'll walk us through as we kind of unpack this book. And my hope is that you would start living a life starting today that is bigger than you. Start thinking about things that will live on after you. He says, hey, this is my son. And the first thing he says to my son is, I want you to be strong. I need you to be strong. I won't be here for you much longer, so I need you to find your own strength. And this, you learn to be strong in the grace that is, comes from Christ Jesus. If you want to leave a legacy, you got to find strength. You cannot manufacture strength, but you've got to find an inner strength that's greater than what you currently have. In this verse, the, the, the word be strong uh, he, it literally, it's a passive word in the Greek. It literally means let yourself be strengthened or be empowered by. We don't think of strength that way. We think of strength as just determination. We think of it as in internal fortitude, toughing it out, clenching your teeth, maxing out on your bench press. It's not talking about how you get a strength physically. It's speaking about the grace of God. That's why it's passive there. He says, hey, there's actually a strength that you cannot get in your own ability. It's a gift from God for you, for the life God has called you to. And I would pray that your spiritual heavenly father would speak to your own hearts. And you've been looking to try to borrow someone else's strength. But he says, no, if you would learn how to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, there is a strength that you could never have on your own. In other words, don't be 
Don't try to pretend like you're stronger by trying harder or drawing from your own strength. No, be strong in the grace. That word grace, Greek word charis, literally means be strong in the gift that God has given you. There's a gift of strength. You don't know how you're going to get through what you're facing. There's a gift from God that makes you stronger. The grace of God is sufficient for you. And when you learn to find your strength in God's supply, it does not matter what season or struggle you are in. You will see your way through because it's not about your own ability. It's about the supernatural empowerment of God. It's about the grace of God. And in verse, chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For the Spirit of God, as that word gave, that's the word gift, that charis, that grace of God, it doesn't make you timid. It doesn't make you fearful. You do not have a spirit of fear, one translation would say. But no, you actually have one that gives you power and of love and of, a, of self-discipline or a sound mind. How many know that this world doesn't have a lot of soundness in mind right now? It's because everyone is living off their own supply of power instead of receiving. They're living according to the spirit of the world. So if you're fearful in any area of, this, of your life, it's because you're, you're leaning on the world's way of thinking. But there's actually a gift that he's given you, the spirit that it gives you strength, not timidity. It gives you passion and power, not fear, not intimidation. One that's fueled by the love of God, and it can bring you back into your right mind. But you've got to stay plugged into the power. Power tools have the ability to create and, and, and to make something stronger than any person could do in their own ability. But the potential to build is only connected to the supply source. And the grace of God is your supply. So when he says fan into flame the gift, the grace, the charis of your life, he's talking about what are you leaning into on the inside because it will empower you to live a bigger life on the outside. The courage you need to face the fear of what you're going up against or, or to overcome temptation, to keep loving people when it's not reciprocated, to keep forgiving when people don't say I'm sorry, well, to keep going on the God dream when you feel like giving up is directly connected to how much are you plugging into God's grace. It was never about your own ability anyway. This is a gift of God. A self-sufficient life. Some of you rise and grinders need to hear this today, and I am proud for your efforts. But there's a God thing for your life that you cannot get by your own ability or overtime hours. A self-sufficient life is an insignificant life. It's a small life. It doesn't mean you don't show up and bring your best. It doesn't mean that you don't work overtime. It doesn't mean that you don't challenge yourself to grow. But there's some God things in your life that you cannot grow by your effort, only by your engagement with the Spirit of God, the gift of God's grace. I'm sure Timothy was well capable as a communicator, as a preacher, as a leader, but Paul just wanted to remind his son before his time was done that this isn't about you anyway. This is about the grace of God, the gift on the inside of you. And when you will find that inner strength, you can overcome anything you're facing on the outside. This is why we worship on Sundays. Do you know that? We don't, we don't strike up the band and play these songs so that you can wake up and your caffeine can hit. We, we don't have the music so you can tap your feet and feel like, you know, uh, maybe I'll listen to the word today. No, we actually show up to give back to the one that's given us everything. This is about connecting to the grace of God by admitting we cannot do this on our own. Worship and praise is about you coming to the end of your own sufficiency. That you've got to have a savior 
and one that is worthy of all worship and all praise. Worship breaks the spell of self-sufficiency. Giving breaks the spell of self-sufficiency. And we can then embrace God's more than enough, the grace of God, when we can acknowledge him as our source, our supply, and our strength. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, And these things that you've heard me say, Son, as I've been talking to you, Paul says, uh, in the presence of many witnesses. In other words, I didn't talk to you just alone, one-on-one. There was times I was teaching you, I was training you, I was equipping you. I need you to entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. If you want to be a legacy lever in your life, live a life bigger than yourself, you have to learn to pass on the torch. It cannot be just about what God's teaching you and God's helping you. You, as a conduit of the grace of God, as a receiver of the grace of God, have to be a conduit of the grace of God to somebody else. In fact, everyone in here who's ever taught a class or trained someone to do something at work, you know the best way to teach is to show them how to do it and then have them do it themselves. This is why we don't just study the word only for all the things that we learn. We put it into practice by sharing it with other people. That's why what God is growing you in in your Bible knowledge will only come alive when you start actually utilizing it and putting it into practice. This is why every person who is a disciple is finding someone else to disciple, someone else to pour into. And this is how the knock-on effect, the domino effect of the kingdom of God takes traction in a church and in a city. And you might be, well, Pastor Kyle, I'm new to faith. I love it. I love that you're here. There's got some things that you need to learn. I don't think you should get up on the platform and preach next week. But I do think if you've got a little revelation of what God has done to you, not from a place of spiritual pride, but a place of humility, you should share it with someone that knows nothing about Jesus. That the more you start seeing yourself as a connecting point between heaven and earth, the more that empowerment of the grace of God will work through you. You pass on the torch. And, and so Paul, he's writing this from the Roman prison cell on house arrest, about to face the executioner. He's writing this stuff down and he's He's passing it on. And he encourages Timothy. We'll see in this book, he encourages him, hey, as you come, I really want you to come visit me. I want one last time with my son. Man, think about that, fathers for a moment, mothers for a moment. Think about one last time with your child. What would you want to pass on to him? But he says, hey, before you come here, you've got to equip others there. It, it can't end with you. It's got to go from your grandma to your mom and me to you to other reliable people. There's four generations right there. Why? Jesus who called Paul. Paul who calls Timothy. And Timothy who passes and trusts this on to, to other faithful, reliable people. Four generations at, at work. And this is if we really want our lives to really count for something. We, we have to make disciples. And what does he say you need to look for? He doesn't say go look for the best speakers, best communicators, those that have their life all together. Don't go looking for the people that seem successful on the outside. Look for reliable people. Who is faithful when everyone is faithless? Who keeps showing up? He says entrust these things to these reliable people. And that's the generational transfer of the church. If you're looking for reliable people, that means I'm not going to give my fire, I'm not going to give my fuel to people who are fake. Or people that would put a, uh, a over-focus on all the outward things, but not have that inner strength from the grace of God. Look to pass on something of significance. 
I think the year was, I think it was 1996. I was, uh, I, was I think I was in high school, uh, first year of high school, and my parents were gone all the time. I'm like an only child in this season of my life. Uh, my, my siblings are a lot older than me, a lot older than me, and they were out of the house, and so I would watch like every movie that came out, uh, something I do not allow my kids to do, but I did, and we all have those things as parents, don't we? And I remember seeing this movie, uh, Mr. Holland's Opus, and I remember thinking about like, this is the boring, most boring movie I've ever seen. It's about a band teacher, and I didn't enjoy it, but I, I watched it a few years ago on an airplane again, and like... Something about it just hit different this time. In this season of my life, it just hit different. It tells a story of this guy, Mr. Holland, who who was a composer. And he was working on this symphony. It was his life work. And and he couldn't get it done. He was a perfectionist, and it just never came together. And he's ran out of money, and he just needed a J-O-B. And so he goes and starts teaching band at a school, and he hates it. But he pours his life into it. 35 years he teaches band. This was not his plan A. And he never finishes the symphony. But I remember this scene when all the students at his retirement party come together. And one of them happens to be like the governor of the state. And and they all get up and they share. And then he tells him, hey, I want you to know, Mr. Holland, I know you didn't get to do what you thought your life work was. But look around you. This is your life work. He says, we are your symphony. We are the melodies and notes of your opus. We are the music of your life. And I would wonder what sort of people you will pass on to after you are gone, or even after this season is over, that would be able to say, hey, you changed the soundtrack of my life. I'm singing a different song today because the way you loved and served me. You pass the torch to me, and I'm going to pass it on to somebody else. And friends, this is what we call legacy, and this is what we call a life well lived. As a church, I believe that we're heading into a season that we're going to write a new song for the city to sing for seasons yet to come. And I'm looking for some people that aren't just looking for all the things for themselves to be self-sufficient, but are looking to sacrifice and serve a kingdom that will last much longer than our life on the earth. And that there will be a new sound and a new song and a new, a new expression of Jesus in this city for years and years yet to come. And then we come to the, what I feel is the best part, at least for me, part that encourages, challenges me the most in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2, starting in verse 3. It doesn't start out very exciting, I'm warning you. But Paul says, hey, Timothy, join with me in suffering. Let's have a suffering party. <sighs> Said no one ever. He says, no, join with me in suffering like a a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown. You do not get the gold medal except by competing according to the rules. He talks about, there's another one we'll look at in a moment. He says, hey, there's some struggle to this life. There's some sacrifice for the significance in this life. To have a legacy life means you're going to have to have to leave some comforts and maybe embrace some some seasons that feel like struggle. Every entrepreneur understands that. Every parent understands that. To get to the good parts, you got to go through some hard parts. 
And he says, hey, the same with your faith. You're join me in this suffering or in this struggle like a soldier, like an, like an athlete. Those that leave a legacy realize this. If you're taking notes, you've got to pay it on the front end. There's some things that you've got to do first before you experience his best. Well, the grace of God is God's best all the time, no doubt. But to grow in this faith and to grow in a life of significance, to leave a legacy means there's going to be some difficult seasons. But difficult seasons with the grace of God lead you to destiny seasons. Lead you to God's best in every season, even if it is a struggle season. When he says, join in my suffering, one translation says, endure in this hardship with me. This isn't hard. I mean, this isn't easy. This is, this is difficult. I think those that leave a legacy are willing to take a difficult road. And he uses these illustrations. First one he says is like a soldier. How many of soldiers have to go through training? Before soldiers get to fight in a fight and win a battle, they got to run lots of miles, do lots of pull-ups, push-ups. They have to go through all sorts of training. In fact, they have to break them down in order to build them back up. I think the same is in the kingdom of God. That there's some breaking of your pride. And that God uses all sorts of things and won't waste even of our own mistakes to, to get us to a place where we're in dependence of our commanding officer. We're willing to do what he says and follow his ways. This is not a video game battle where you can just hit the reset button when it's not working out mid-battle. He says a soldier, he's not really talking about winning the fight. He's talking about, he's really talking about obedience. He says, uh, wants to please his commanding officer. Literally, the Greek word there, commanding officer, means the person who enlisted you. See, back then, when you signed up for military age uh, for the Roman Empire, yes, you went through training, but you did not get to, like, you didn't get to choose where you were going. Someone came and chose you. The commanding officer, the centurion, the leader would say, hey, I like what you have to offer. I want you on my team. I recruit you to be in this battle with me. This is the idea we have in, in, in being disciples. Remember, Jesus chose his disciples. Jesus says, hey, I want you 12 to come walk with me. And now as we say yes to Jesus and we receive his grace, we get enlisted in this battle that matters for greater than just you getting through the next season of your life. This is a fight for the faith to move the future of the kingdom of God forward. And so we get enlisted as disciples in this journey. And what he says is not that, like, not that you have to be a great at battle. What I want you to get good at as a soldier is your single-mindedness, your self-discipline, to stay, what, distangled from this world. We don't get trapped up in civilian affairs. We don't fight like the world fights. We have a different kind of battle. We don't battle against flesh and blood, right? Paul says that. But of principalities and powers and rulers of the air. In other words, we're fighting a fight not against people, but, but for people. It takes single-mindedness. Single, you can't get so caught up in what this world is doing that you miss what God wants to do. There's an old saying in the church that some people are so heavenly-minded, they're of no earthly good. How I many of you have a person like that in your life? Like, you know, everything is a prophecy. Everything is a, thus saith the Lord. And they're seeing angels and things everywhere. And that might be some sort of spiritual gift they have. That's great. But no one from the outside of the world wants to connect with that. But then there's also this other part that I feel like more of us fall in than the super spiritual that isn't significant in the, 
in the here and now, and those that are so much like the world, there are no heavenly good. That we don't realize that there's something that we have to get disconnected from the world in order to connect to this calling, to leave a legacy that's bigger than ourselves. And we learn to get single-minded, not look like the world, think like the world, talk like the world, act like the world, get validated by the world. Then we begin to win this fight and win this war that really matters. Then he talks about the athlete. That like an athlete, you've got to train. And you need to, you need to push through. But if you don't play by the rules, if you don't stay in bounds, if you don't run in your lane, you get DQ'd, disqualified. Let's not go through all this training just to run off course. No, let's stay in the lane so that we can win the prize. The third person and picture that Paul gives us, we haven't read yet, but it's about the farmer. It's in verse 6 of Timothy 2. Verse, uh, verse 6, it says, a hardworking farmer should be what? Should first enjoy the fruit of their labor. He says it's hard work, but there is enjoyment, that you get to taste a little bit of the harvest. You, you get blessed if you'll work hard. I mean, a farmer's, I'm not a farmer. I'm a city boy, full on. And all of you are like, yeah, we can tell. I'm not from Iowa. I'm not from Nebraska. I'm not from a farm. But I do know this is they work hard. They get up at dawn. They go to bed when the sun goes down often, especially harvest season is hard work season. It's not just easy, it's difficult. Even when things are fruitful, there's a, whole lot of, there's a whole lot of sweat and a whole lot of energy. They work in the hot, they work in the cold, they work when it rains, they work when it snows, they work when it dries. You're never not working. It's hard work. And hard workers can expect to get a crop, but they have to have worked hard. In other words, for there to be something to harvest at all, you have to plant and participate. I think that's a challenge for some of you. Some of us, we want the reward or the harvest, but we haven't done the hard work of honoring and obeying God and planting. God operates the kingdom, operates in seed, time, and harvest. And if you will plant seed over time, you will have a harvest. But this is the heart work and the hard work of the kingdom. What is he really speaking about with these three illustrations that he gives us? He's speaking about discipline, effort, obedience, and single-mindedness. That if we really want to have a legacy that matters, we don't blend into the world. We're following our commanding officer. We're living a life that's pleasing to him. We don't get out of our lane. We stay in what we're called to do. And it's going to take some hard work and some effort. But there is a harvest. The Bible says, don't grow weary in well-doing. There is a harvest for you if you do not give up. If you'll keep going, God will keep showing up. And your life will, will, will actually blow up in a good way. It'll matter for bigger and better than you could ever imagine. They find purpose in their perspiration, the farmer, the soldier, the athlete. They find purpose in spite of the pain to win the championship, to receive the harvest, to follow your commander. And no one can do it for you. You've got to do that work of faithfulness. There are no shortcuts. Why do we persevere? Why do we keep pushing in? Why? Because there's more for us. God has more for you. Life is short and how we live matters. It matters significantly. David and King David in Psalms 39 says, Lord, remind me how brief, brief on my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and that life could be fleeing away. Just give me a reminder, God, every once in a while that 
man, life isn't about me, it's about you. And life goes quicker than I can imagine. My raising kids, you get that life goes so fast. And, and you gotta make sure, God, just give me, bring me back into a place of understanding and remind me that life, life will pass me by if I don't participate. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 8 through 10, remind me, says David, but Paul says, remember Jesus. If you want to make it through what you're going through, if you want to live a life of legacy, if you want to have a life that's bigger than yourself, remember Jesus. He was raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. I love that he says that. This is my message. This is my ministry to remember Jesus, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the church, so they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I think if you're going to live a legacy life, you're going to have to ask yourself the question, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? The fourth thing for people that leave legacy with their life is they learn to find their focus. Paul had his, you need yours. Find your focus. Why am I doing this? Paul says, remember Jesus. I remember Jesus and what he did for me. I remember Jesus and how he met me on the road to, to go persecute the church. He met me with grace and mercy. He transformed my life, and he gave me, he gave me a legacy to live. He gave me a life worth living. And from that moment, I remember that, and because of that, all that I have, I hand over to him. Now, I know Timothy, when he writes this, Timothy has not forgotten Jesus. But I think what he's saying here is just keep on thinking about Jesus. In the hard days, keep your focus on Jesus. Who he is to you and what he's called you to do. And if you find your focus by looking to Jesus, it clears up the fog of frustration because you get a renewed sense of purpose. And with that place of purpose and passion, you can push through any sort of resistance that's coming away. Is anyone getting anything out of this today? Life, I believe, is like a, it's like a wheel, like a wagon wheel, if you will. That there's all these spokes connected to the wheel that, that's real life on the ground that moves your life forward. But at the center of the spokes is the hub. And what I think Paul teaches us through this is if Jesus isn't at the center, if he's not the one that we're remembering, if he's not the reward that we've already received and the claim that we live for, if anything other than Jesus is ordering the rest of your traction or your movement in life, you're going to miss the power and the potential of Jesus at the middle of it all. We cannot put Jesus as just one of the spokes. He has to be the center. We cannot put Jesus on the sideline. He's got to be in the middle of it all. And Verses 11 and 13 of 2 Timothy 2 says, this is a trustworthy statement, which theologians would say, this is like, in other words, it's like, this is a catchphrase of the church back then. This is what people were saying. It's like, hey, this is a good saying. Like we say, people are the promised land here at Kingdom City. Just to remind us, why did we do what we do? Hey, if we died with him, will we also live with him? In other words, if we're dying for something, don't we also live for something? If we endure, will we reign with him? If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He said, in other words, even when you miss it, God doesn't miss it. But when we get it right, and it's not about us, but about what God is doing through us, and what God is doing in us, and what God does through us in the world around us, then we'll also reign with him. So if you're going to leave a legacy, final thought is this. Number five, you've got to persevere to the end. 
Don't give up before it gets good. Don't, don't, don't give up the moment resistance comes. Remember, he says, fan into flame. There's a gift of grace. Dear son, stay strong. Find strength, a supernatural strength that's connected to Jesus. And from that strength, hey, you're going to have to go through some things, but get your focus right. Don't live according to the world system. Heaven has a perspective for you. If you would live from that heavenly perspective, you would start living a life of legacy, the life you were always meant to live. Jesus says, if those that put their hand to the plow and look back are not worthy for service, let's not be people that falter just when things get hard. But let's realize that there's a purpose and there's a plan and we get the honor and honor to participate in this kingdom endeavor, this calling of God for your life. And let's be realize it's the work of the grace of God, but there is work to do. And the reward is so worth it because the reward isn't, and I believe God wants to promote you. And I believe because he is a God of promotion from grace to grace, strength to strength, glory to glory. Humble yourself under his mighty hand and in due time, he will raise you up. I do think he wants you to excel in your academics and in your relationships and your career, in your inner world, in your outer world. God cares about it all, why? Because he's a perfect father. But he also wants to get you a perspective of a life that outlives yours. This is what we're talking about when we speak of legacy. There's something greater for all of us to contend for that's significant, that long after we're gone, it remains. In fact, it's eternal. The people that we impact, the lives that we reach, the people that we love, the people that we serve, people that you might never meet on this side of eternity, God will see that you'll meet them in eternity. This is a trustworthy saying. This is a trustworthy saying. In other words, if you're willing to endure, you're willing or you're rewarded with rain, raining, the blessing of God. You know what real failure is? It's not failing. Why? Because it says even when you're unfaithful, he remains faithful. Even when you, like, vacated your calling, the Bible says the calling remains. It's irrevocable. It's still on your life. Even when you missed it in seasons past, even when you missed it in decades past, it's still there. Where you were unfaithful, he's still faithful. This is why we grow in strength by the grace of God. This is not our own works or effort, although there is work and effort to give. This is what God is empowering us, positioning us, gifting, caris, gracing us for a life that is bigger than us. This is why we, we don't fail completely when we failed. We only fail when we don't finish. Some of you, you have less time than others. None of us know our hours, our days. That's why David said, hey, remind me that life is short. But what you do have left, don't quit. But what you do have left to give, let's give him our best. Let's be that, that soldier. Let's be that athlete. Let's be that farmer. Let's be willing to stay in our lane. Let's be willing to obey commands from heaven. Let's be willing to work hard because there is a harvest that God has for us. And there's something special. I'm going to say this to everyone collectively as a church and everyone individually. There is something special from God just for you to do. Not just to sit in a seat and to learn at church, not just to find a friend group and community. No, there's something you are gifted to somewhere in your sphere of influence, someone in your relationship circle, some maybe even long hidden gift, even a spiritual gift that you have a part to play 
not in yourself to be the hero, but to make Jesus bigger by all of us playing our part. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, you keep yourself pure. Then you'll be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be what? Ready for the master to use you, what? For every good work. Get rid of all the junk of this world so that God can use you for the significance he created you for. But how do we do it? Remember Jesus. How do you live a life that's a legacy life? Remember Jesus. Jesus endured opposition and suffering all the way to the cross. Like a good soldier, he remained faithful to win the battle where we could not be victorious. He already is victorious. Jesus endured temptation and discipline like an athlete. He stayed in his lane and he ran his race. And when he finished it, he said, it is finished. The race we could not complete for ourselves by the grace of God, we get to run in his shoes. Like a farmer, Jesus was faithful every single day. Obedient every single day. Years until his sacrifice on the cross now gives us an eternal harvest that we just get to receive by faith. Keep looking to Jesus. What he started in you, he will complete it all the way through. There is a bigger life for you individually and for all of us together at Kingdom City Church. He's leading us to something of great eternal significance. What will be said about you when it's all said and done? What will be said about you when it's all said and done? What would Jesus say about you when it's all said and done? This is what I believe and declare will be what you hear on the other side of eternity. Well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Great is your reward. Enter into rest. Enter into my kingdom. You did it well. Did you do it perfect? No, that's why I gave you grace, so you could find strength. And from that strength, you fought your good fight. You followed commands. You stayed in your lane. You worked hard. There is a harvest for you if you don't give up. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Great is your reward. Here is your legacy. After you're set and gone, dead and gone, there'll be something said about you that you lived a life of significance. If you did not come from anything significant, you are still called to something so significant in the kingdom of God. Why don't you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. Father God, I thank you for every heart that's here, every life, everyone is watching. Like only you can, God, individually, would you make this message minister to their heart right here, right now. Lord, where we've missed it, where we've gone out of our own lane, where we've given up on the hard work, where we shrunk back in the, in the middle of a, a difficult struggle. God, I thank you. When we were unfaithful, you're still faithful. And you forgive us. And you redeem us. Even causing our mistakes to prosper like only you can. We thank you for your grace that makes us strong. That we don't earn it, we just receive it. Right now, I just thank you for those that have missed it in past seasons. They're finding a greater grace on the inside. And you're empowering them for the seasons yet to come. God, I thank you for us as a church that we would be legacy leavers. Like Paul to Timothy, us to a new generation, we would answer the call. And Lord, would you do something great, something so great by your spirit that we could never take credit for so you can get all the glory. God, I thank you for the season that we're right in stepping into. It's a season of obedience, a season of sacrifice, a season of surrender. It's a season of faith that I thank you that when our time comes to to step in, Lord, I thank you. We're filled with faith. We're filled with your grace. We're divinely empowered, and we engage with our calling, and we leave a legacy that's greater than anything we've seen before. Not for just for us, and not just for us as a church, but for your people in this city, 
for your, your people in this nation, for your people in this world, that we'll be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Jesus, you're not on the outside. You're not one of the spokes. You're the center of it all. In Jesus' name. Stay in this moment of prayer. Keep your head bowed and eye closed. If Jesus isn't at the center, maybe you've forgotten Jesus. It's time to come back to remember him. It's all about him. It's all because of him, and it's all for him. Maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, I have never said yes to Jesus. He's always just kind of been something I knew a little bit about, but I don't know God personally. I don't have a relationship with God personally. Today, friend, is your day of opportunity. It's a day of salvation, but you've got to receive it by the grace of God. You've got to put your trust in him. For some of you, he used to be at the center of it all. The driving force of your life, the empowerment of his grace used to be at the center of your heart, but you've gone your own way. It's time to come back. So he's not just in your life. He's not just your savior one day in eternity. He's the Lord over every day of your life. If that is you, either one of those are you, it's a first-time decision to follow Jesus or to put your trust in him again and put him first on the throne of your heart. If that is you with no one looking around, we're gonna pray a prayer as one big community of faith. But if that is you, this is your moment of decision. And this is where you find yourself connected to the grace of God. To stay strong in life, you need God's grace and we receive it only through Christ. If that is you, no one look around and say, today is my day of Jesus first. Today is my day of receiving Jesus. Would you just put your hand in the air and say, that's me today. There's one, there's two. That's awesome. There's three, there's four, there's five, there's six of you. Amazing. Seven of you, I see you there. Maybe that's you online. Maybe that's you at Lansing. I might have missed your hand. It's dark in here. God 100% saw your heart. As you put your hands down, why don't we lift up our eyes? Why don't we pray this prayer together as one big family? Say this after me. Say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Oh, we can do better than that. Say, thank you, God, thank you, God. for loving me. For you wanted me, wanted me as your son or daughter. Son or daughter. From, this moment on, From this moment on, I admit I, admit, I need a Savior. I need, a savior. I need, Jesus. I need Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. On, your cross, on your cross, my sin is settled. Sin is settled. Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. for your grace. I am forgiven. I am set free. From this moment on, I'm following Jesus. He's first in my life. Thank you for your grace. I surrender my life to you. Fill me with your power. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, can we celebrate everyone and pray that prayer? Awesome. Love you, church.